Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. Two amazing sponsors this week. We welcome back WPDB Migrate Pro, which is all uh, a little WordPress plugin for syncing your databases, which we'll talk about later in the show because it's really quite useful. And the CSS DevConf. So go to CSSDevConf.com. It'll take you to 2013.DevConf.com. It's a conference coming up here in Colorado in October that you're not going to want to miss. We'll tell you about both of those things later in the show, but for now, let's kick things off. Listening to the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about web design and development. I am Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening into the show, like every single week. Did I cut you off, Dave? Oh, I was just going to apologize ahead of time. I'm having some dental issues this week, so (laughs) if my ethyl found a little (laughs) strange, (laughs) I really apologize. It's been quite a week. All right. Anyway, Chris, who do we have today? We have Mr. Flo Motlick. Thanks for joining us. Flo. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Flo is you're you're a founder of, right? The one of one of maybe the uh, Exactly, the, the, yeah. the application codeship.io. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm one of we are three co-founders and yep. yeah, we're doing codeship with a couple of other great guys now for a while. We talked just two seconds before the show. Is like our, our our CEO is still back in Boston. You guys did Tech Stars Boston. That was is, is that like an incubator kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's an incubator program um, and accelerator, like yeah, whatever that incubator accelerator thing is. Um, but basically, it's fourteen companies who've been working together there, and we had great mentoring and support from all the Tech Stars Boston guys. So big shout out to them. It was a, an incredible experience that helped us personally and the company a lot. And it was also a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, nice. We have a we have a TechStars outfit here in Austin now. So looking forward yeah. to see what I think their first class just came on board. So looking forward to see what they're doing. So uh, I guess for those who don't know what CodeShip is, like, can you give like the whatever the two minute elevator yeah, pitch? Sure. <laughs> um, so the problem that we are tackling and what we're, we want to help uh, developers with is just release their code more often. Um, for every software team, it's really important just to get your stuff out there. And basically, so the short pitch is continuous hosted continuous deployment. Um, we do all the testing for you. We provide you the test infrastructure in a hosted system. And we integrate with systems like Heroku, um, Engine Yard or others, Amazon and all of the others out there. And just help you get your stuff, get your changes to your customers as fast and as soon as, as safely as possible. And in our opinion, this there is no way around doing that anymore. Um, and but it's really hard to do it on your own, to do it with your own infrastructure. And people really should focus on on what they do best, and that's implementing their their application, implementing their product, and really working with their customers and just getting the feedback qu- quickly uh, all the time. So that's where we help uh, our customers and nice. and our users. And yeah, that's cool because I I mean. 
Chris, I'm sure you have way more to say on this, but I think deployment is one of those things that is pretty difficult and and always kind of like a a hassle for uh, any developer on any scale. And yeah, I I mean, we get a lot of questions into here, like, and and I'm sure we have some today, but like, I'm trying to break up with FTP. What, how should I do that? And stuff (laughs) like that. And uh, so we always uh, need a good answer. So it's good to have you guys on. Yeah. Have you representing (laughs) kind of. Yeah, From so it's easy to do, that. you know, it's not even just deployment period isn't isn't easy and then it's and then it's extra hard to make sure you you do it right and safely as Flo said. Yeah, absolutely. And I so think that's oh, we have sorry, lots. please go. Go ahead. Um I'll sh- I'm sure we're we're going to come to it. So please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Well, I I'm sure we'll talk about every every little facet <laughs> of this. I think where it came up I can't remember exactly how it went down, but I recently wrote a post on CSS Tricks um, called Deployment or some, or yeah, you know, I, I, whatever the title of it was. The the URL slug for it is CSS Tricks um, website deployment. deployment. Let us count the ways. Let us count the ways because there's so many, right? And in in in, in the article starts out kind of talking about like. Well, you know, a lot of us started out just with some FTP and some of us still do that. And that is deployment technically because you're moving files from your local environment to your, to your, to your live server. And maybe we don't kind of consider it or call it deployment, but that's what it basically is. And then, and then how can we level up from there or what are different options for that? And, and, and if we kind of define deployment as you have some local environment and you're working on a website and the deployment is the part where you move it to the live server. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah. in, a, in a way, it's it's just moving some files. That's one thing. But part of deployment might also be uh, restarting services and just kind of maybe running some kind of build process. And maybe yeah, and even, even beyond that, even involved. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even beyond that. So so we consider um, from 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 the deployment. I mean, it's it's when, when it comes down to is, of course, like moving files around and then restarting service. But it's it's more of. I think we consider it not just a technical problem, but it's really a, a team or a workflow, just a human problem in the end. It's how can I get the team mm-hmm. and how can I get everybody to like the pro- push the product as fast as we can and setting up the technology. And I mean, there are thousands of ways to deploy stuff and all of them are good in their own sense. Um, some of them are easier, some of them are harder. But what it comes down to is getting the team to a point where they agree on and they want to push their stuff all the time and to get that like uh-huh. if you have the if you have the feeling with your application and luckily we have that for a while now with ours that you can deploy at two in the morning and then go to bed because you know like the tests are running and it work you're, you're sure it works that totally changes the dynamic in in the team and how how everybody works because you can do stuff so quickly you can try stuff because you know like if you break something the fix is out there in a couple of minutes max and you don't have to wait like for the next release cycle in a week or a month or even in a couple of days. So that's, I think that is, that is the first problem with deployment is like, or getting to continuous deployment is getting the team ready for it, getting everybody on board that we really want to yeah. do that. And then the technology is of course hard, but that's, that's manageable. But if you have a team that isn't ready mm-hmm. for it, then there is no way around that. There's, there's no fix for, for having a team that, that doesn't believe in the workflow. Um, so that's one of the things we want to like push out and like educate people and tell people on like how much more powerful and, and, and in the end, like it makes developers happy. Like who wants to wait for their stuff to go out a couple of days or weeks or month. That's, we want to have it out there with our customers, with our users, 
and you want it to run somewhere. And I think that's all. So it's the funny because it's a deployment is a tech problem, and then you're like, well, but it, it 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 is, but it's more of a human problem too. And then it's this is helping solve the human problem with more tech, <laughs> kind of. It's like yeah, it, exactly, exactly. Like the tech part is as complicated as it is, especially to do it in scale. Um, and there is a lot of technology involved, but it's the first step needs to be the team. The first step needs to be done by the team and to agree on that that it's that that is the goal and that is what we want to do. So let's walk through it just for fun. I let's say I, I I'm I'm learning Rails and I and mm-hmm. I ha- and I'm working on an app and I'm doing it with me and my buddy and we we're using GitHub and that's how we keep in touch with each other. But we're just working locally right now. We don't even have any hosting for it yet. But we, our Rails app is working good and we're like we wanna we wanna take this thing live, but we also wanna so we need some kind of deployment strategy, so some hosting or something. And we wanna like how would CodeChip fit into that? Like yeah. okay, we're I'm working on this app with my buddy and now we want to set up some continuous integration or, or whatever that sure. is. Or continuous so let's consider the, 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 the best case, like you write your tests um, and have great tests all the time for your application. So CodeShift doesn't write any tests for me. I got to, I got to write some tests. You still got to write your own tests. That's still, that's a yep. problem we have been thinking about, but that's, too hard <laughs> to sure. do or, or sure. too so specific. like i'm using ruby and it's a rails app so maybe it's rspec or whatever they call it right that's exactly rspec kpbar yeah. and the myriads of tools that are available for all the languages but basically what you just go to a website and you log in with your github account or email password or your bitbucket account or whatever and then you just you get a list of your repo- github repositories you click the repository Tell us exactly what test commands um, we, we should run. So to make sure, like whenever you push to any branch or anything on GitHub, we uh, download that. We start a build on our, one of our servers. We pull the clone the, the repository, test that even specific branch or specific commit that it really works, and all the test commands are working fine. And then you can set up the deployment. For example, with Heroku app, um, maybe as a team that is just starting out with continuous deployment, you might want to push to a staging environment continuously and then trigger the the push to production manually. The important step there is the push itself should always be automated. So you should never really push yourself to the repository, but have a workflow in place that takes you maybe a click of a button or anything like that to really push. Mm -hmm. The the automation in that is, is key because as soon as you have to do it manually, it's easy to do it when you don't have a bug out there or when the website is up and everything is working fine. Um, but doing the right steps manually when the website is down, your customers are screaming at you, then that's where the automation really pays off. So that's the important part. And then in our website, for example, with Heroku, you just select your Heroku application, uh, give us the API key that's necessary. And that in probably takes you like two minutes. And from then on, um, Whenever you push to GitHub, we test it. And whenever you push to, for example, your master branch, we deploy it to your staging application on Heroku. And that's like in a couple of minutes, everything is set up that way. Cool. So it, I guess like for those who don't, maybe don't know like what a good test is, maybe something like, uh, I know like Cucumber is a testing language, yeah. right? And it's And it's like in order for user to give us money, user should be able to log in or something like that. And so that's the kind of things you're enforcing are like users logging in users, not, you know, uh, users being able to give you money stuff like that. So yeah, exactly. uh, that's kind of like, okay. So those are the kind of things that, uh, 
yeah, that's totally, totally understandable. Um, well, cool. So, uh, I guess we'll just kind of keep going. Um, this is maybe I'm breaking the, the fourth wall here of, of broadcasting. Chris is currently not on the call anymore. He had a huge lightning strike. So his internet is totally down anyway. Uh, Anyway, so we'll uh, we'll just kind of keep going because I, I mean, what we have here, kind of the core of shop talk, you know, is the questions and answers. So um, let's we I have a whole bunch and flow. If you're uh, interested, uh, we'll just kind of keep going. Does Sounds that sound good? good? Sounds good to me. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and call this though, and and today is going to be one of our. Uh, Pretty rare deep dives. So, and I'm looking. Oh man! So I'm gonna call the <laughs> deep dive sound effect as we go. Oh, Chris, you're back. Yeah, I'm back, dude. I thought you were gone forever. Oh, anyway, this huge lightning strike. Bullets. Digby's down by my feet, cowering. Okay, oh. dude, dude. All right, cool. So, question number one, shall we? We'll just get into it. Uh, Jed Lehman writes in, or Lehman. Um, I. Create roughly five small client websites per year as I only do these outside my day job. And I'd like to use development best practices without ongoing costs. That's probably a key point there. I would like to use Git for version control and set up deployment strategies so I can stop going FTP commando. But Terminal is a bit scary for me. A combo of both GitHub and Beanstalk sounds perfect to me aside from the ongoing costs. I can live without the version control as I'm pretty organized and backed up. Uh, but do you have any suggestions for a, a one-off alternative for deployment so I can get off of FTP or is FTP suitable in your opinion? Of course, seeing as I'm only doing it occasionally, like with five small client websites a year. I, I think the key there is, so for one thing, um, getting rid of version control is probably not a good idea or pretty much it's, it's not a good idea. Um, so that's that's one of the keys. But when it comes down to deployment, I think the, the important part is that it, um, in, in, in this specific instance, so of course, I mean, I'm biased in that sense that I think continuous deployment is really ideal for pretty much any web application. And especially having it, push pushing it constantly to a staging app is really helpful because you can have your customers look at the staging app at all times and say, okay, I like that, I, li- I don't like that and really see the latest stuff, and then only specifically when you want to release something, push it out there. But FTP can be totally the tool of choice. That's totally fine. The important part is there to automate it in a way that you don't need to think about the deployment at all. So if you have FTP and you need to think about the parameters and what exactly you, you need to get in place to deploy somewhere, then that's too much, Then because that's already a problem. In, in my opinion, deployment should be like, it's one command without parameters, without anything at all. It's, you shouldn't have to think about deployment at all. And if that means that because the specific case is that you only deploy a couple of times per month, basically, because that's the schedule with the, with uh, the customer, then Clients it's totally, and, yeah. yeah, then it's, it's totally fine in, in, in my opinion to, to have it, um, to, to just automate that step completely once. And like, if, if it's the same technology all the time, have one script, one master script that you really just need to call without any parameters that connects to the right service and does the right stuff then. So that's totally fine. Of course, I think that deploying continuously to a staging environment is really helpful because you just have it. Because the problem is that code, if it's just in a repository and isn't running somewhere, um, rots. 
it's already a problem, then there is some update in some package or anything and it doesn't work anymore. So it's it really, even like getting the website up and just hitting the, the first page, the landing page, is already a huge test if does my server at all work or is there some bigger problem or some bigger config problem um, that I run into. So even that's like, that's a big test that, that should be a first, um, the first wall that, that the build always gets through. But um, I mean, of course it's possible, just automate it. Like the, the important step is really automated. You shouldn't think about deployment at all. And if you have to have a parameter there, then you have to think about it. Yeah. So if he's like sitting around, you know, with Cyberduck or something like that yeah. saying like, okay, I edited this file and this one and that one, or maybe he's just dragging the whole directory. Like that's kind of not optimal in your opinion. Cause not, that's kind of like that, that human element of exactly. doing too much, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That. And, and, and then it all works well um, until there's a problem. And then human judgment comes in and human errors come in and then like it snowballs from that moment on and you're just digging yourself the deeper hole. And, and I think that's, that is only something that you can get out of with complete and automation without having to think about it mm -hmm. at all. And like, so would you recommend like maybe uh, this is sort of what I'm thinking for him is maybe get into a situation where he is, uh, like on has a staging server for his clients or something like that, because then he could go like, like I, I think part of the problem with like clients, right. Is you're like, Oh, I got you a web host. And then this second you like break up with them or whatever. And they like, they're like, cool. I want to FTP into this thing and add a picture of my cat on the homepage. Yep. Um, so if you can get them out of that and you can kind of get them into like this workflow where like, no, we build the website and then we push it to a staging server and then we check it all and then we push it to a live server. That seems like you could save just headaches on the client side, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's exactly because oftentimes then you might push it to production just to show it to the client. You might not be able to meet with the client at that time. And if you have it on a staging server, you can just send out the link, have them take a look, decide if that's right or if it isn't, or even like some people and some people that, that um, some of our customers who are agencies who are doing exactly that. They have it in a staging or a release environment that is not production where they, the clients can take a look at any single day at any single point in time and just decide and if, if there's something that they, that they don't like, or even like the whole, the rest of the team um, can always take a look at the last thing. And, and I think even for, for solo developers, that's really helpful. Yeah, no. What, so what is, what's your opinion of our sync? It's kind of like FTP, right? But it's, but it's a little more automated. Um, is that yeah, something it, he could look into? Uh, definitely. So it's, it's, on on basically a little bit on steroids um, on that, but so it's definitely a great tool. So we use it in our infrastructure um, for a lot of things as well, and it's it has a lot of nice features implemented there that that makes it easy to make sure that the the that the files are copied uh, over correctly. But but in the end, I mean that's it's another tool that's great, and there is a lot of great tools out there, and there's a lot of different workflows that people need. Um, I think the tool itself is isn't really that important in itself. The important thing is that it's automated. The, the important thing is to take yeah. out the human element. And then, because as soon as you, as you automate it, most of the problems, because you have to walk through the problems with the tool, and then you can decide, is it the right tool? Can I automate with this? And if I can't, then I have to go to somewhere else. But as soon as it's automated, then it's going to work because that's, that's what tools yeah. and that's what 
what machines are, are supposed to do and just just work and and if it doesn't then you you see the error immediately and you can fix it and then go to another tool or do something else but i think the automation is key yeah. there whatever tools you use I've, I've been in situations where like somebody had to uh kind of manually do a push you know yeah. like these guys would merge these branches they're like devops or whatever yeah. and then they would like have to maybe flip some variables like whatever whitelist an IP or something. And um, it, it was rough though, yep. you know, cause then you're just getting like fail, fail. So anyway, exactly. And that, um, that's the whole, that, and that happens. That's errors happen. Like the best developers mis do mistakes all the time. The best, best developers ship buggy software. So we need to be aware of that and just work around that, that imperfection that, that we have and just automate everything we can. Cool. Well, all right, let's go. Uh, next question. Does that sound good? Brian Weaver asks, I did a little Googling and I found an FTP post commit deploy script for Bitbucket slash GitHub. It works on public and private repos. Uh, and the link is here. I'll put it in the chat room and, of course, in the show notes. I set it up on my server for a little project I'm working on, and so far it's working great. I thought this could be a good tool for folks that don't have a VPS. They can set up Git and still get on version control workflow. So this might be similar to Jed's question is, like, there are free alternatives to stuff like Bitbuck or to Beanstalk and stuff. There's There's ways that you can set up deployment via Git through just some scripts that you write yourself. So Brian's asking, like, is this okay, or should I be thinking about other tools? I think, I mean, they they can be okay and can work well. It depends on the size of the project, I think, because at at some point there maybe needs to be some some tests involved. But that totally depends. If it's a basically a static site or near static site, then that might not be necessary. So then those tools are are great. Um, still think that ha having some kind of tests there. Um, is very helpful. Um, but, but then still I'd go with the staging server first. So, so pushing that out directly to a production server. Um, and it, it goes a long way because it's automated. That's really great. Um, but going to a staging server first and like automating the deploy to a staging server first, checking if everything works there where the tests are basically manual then, and then going to, to production with automation. That's, that's great. All right. So here's a, here's a, this is a tangentially related thing to all this stuff that we're talking about. And it leads right into a sponsor. So great. <laughs> it's just going to be, it's, nice. it's going to be great. Dude. It's going to be nice. It's going to be good. <laughs> Dennis LeBlanc writes in, I've been getting into developing WordPress sites locally for the past year, but it seems that once I get the site launched, I get stuck doing site edits and mods on the server. I know I'm losing geek points this way, but syncing the database back and forth just drives me nuts. What's the best way to handle database syncing? Is it possible to do it with version control? I know this might be too detailed of an answer, but if you can shine some light or a detailed tutorial, that would be awesome. This is part of a special pile of questions <laughs> that I keep in a special area because it's probably the number one question that's asked on, 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 on Chop Talk. And, and, and uh, it's funny because what am I going to trying to say about this exactly? Like, why is it WordPress that always seems to be the thing here? Is it just because WordPress is the mo one of the more popular CMSs or is it that for some reason that it, it begs to have the database synced more 
than other things do. You know, like I work on a number of other projects and I just don't find it totally necessary to have like a hundred percent in sync database at all times on stuff. But finding a lot of the WordPress sites I work on, I do kind of like that. You know, it doesn't prevent you from working on a template or something just because you don't have the most recent blog post that was published. You know, it doesn't really matter that much. Sometimes it's nice to have a recent copy, but for whatever reason. Anyway, what I wanted to say is this leads right into a sponsor. This is such a common question and it is kind of a pain in the butt. Of course, you can sync databases, but you have to like, you know, the the way I've traditionally done it is you got to SSH into the server and then do a little MySQL dump and then dump that to a flat file and then log in through FTP and download that file, then run the the SQL locally on your local database to move the stuff over. But of course, then the URLs are a little wrong because the URL local and live are different and there's stuff in the database that has to change in order to get it to work correctly. So it's just, it's tedious and a pain in the butt. There is now a WordPress plugin for this called WPDB Migrate Pro, and there's a bit.ly link for it that I can again share in all of the normal ways that I do. And, you know, I'm happy to that they've wanted to sponsor again because since we've sponsored it, they said, wow, tons of people have found out about it, tons of people are using it. They find it this essential part of their workflow. And I know that just sounds like like commercially cha-ching crap, but it's uh, it's not. It's awesome. I, we use it on a bunch <laughs> of sites, uh, including Shop Talk Show site itself. I use it on the CodePen blog. It keeps them really in sync really well. So you kind of, it's still, it's still manual in that you go to the WordPress admin and you like, and you like run a migration manually. Click uh, a button. Uh, but, but, it, but it works pretty well. You set up one to pull, one to push and kind of click the button and it yeah. does. But that's perfect sync. automation. That's, sync, so. you don't have to think about that. It's just, let's click a button and that's it. It's done. And that's, that's the key. Right. There you go. Right. So I guess that's similar. That's the business you're in too, right? It's like, let the computers do the computing for us. Yeah, exactly. Like taking away everything where we can make make mistakes and doing the stuff that we can do better, Um, being creative and like implementing new stuff and thinking about new stuff. Because it's also, it's not just like we can do it better, but it's also way more fun. It's just not like SSHing into a server, pulling a dump, then FTPing into it, pulling that down and doing something with it. It's just not fun. And I don't think it's like from a business perspective, right. if, if it, you like that fine, but you're, you're rare. Yeah. And, and, and it also <laughs> like, it probably takes you more time to do that than the tool costs you. So it, yeah. it just adds up. That, that, that was my big thing about it. I was like, Oh, do I need it? Cause I could do it by hand. And then I'm like, dude, how much do I charge an hour? And yep. how many hours would this save me overall? Bada bing, bada boom. It was bought in like 10 seconds. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's that, nice. It does it securely. It does it over HTTPS by default if you want. You have to turn that off if you don't want that. And I don't know. You guys get it. It keeps databases in sync. You want it. And, <laughs> and that's really awesome, like specifically for WordPress, because it does that thing where it changes the like your URL, which you're going to need, like the base URL. But uh, Flo, what, like, kind of if we're talking non-WordPress, like what's a good how, – how do, like, whatever – how do people manage these databases? And do people scale? write into CodeShip and, and, and ask you, what can you do to help me with my databases? Or is that just... Database, databases typically, so for running the tests, um, as, as we're not, we don't really provide the production environment with the production data at all. Typically for running your tests, people have their own seed data, their own data they set up specifically for their tests. So that comes with the code itself. So with the test code, they set up the database in a way they want. 
um, they test it and then um, go further. And typically in their tests, sometimes they just pull um, backups, um, maybe data old backup or maybe even current data. But typically the problem is if you have to do it all the time and day in, day out, uh, pulling production data into a test system just takes a lot of time. So typically people um, set up their tests in a way that's, that works for them. And um, if a new problem arises, if a new problem happens, you just debug it, find the right set of data that is necessary for the problem to recreate it, write a test for it and, and go further with that. That's very application specific for more like websites. Um, I mean, we use um, WP Engine for our WordPress blog. That works well for us. And that's mm -hmm. all that, that merging uh, between databases to a staging environment where we can just play around with it. And if we kill it, then we kill the staging environment, throw it away and do a new, new one over that. I think that's key to have, like to be able to go back to that state where it's fine again. Um, and just mm -hmm. to play around with it. Um, that's where a staging environment is really helpful because you have something that is close to production, but not really production. Um, but in general with databases, databases are, as, as soon as you get especially bigger data, that's just hard because it's it's not feasible to copy all of that over all the time and live. It's just a lot of a lot of work and a lot of engineering effort that goes into into managing those databases. Right. So if you're at like the Facebook level of data, you're not going to be like dump MySQL database. No, it, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it's even it like on our level. It's it's for us, and and we're not that we're not even close to even those sizes or even minus sizes. It's it's already pain a pain because you have to like you have to manage your database, and if you want to like look into it or do a backup or something like that, it's it takes time. So that's like keeping that database as small as possible. Um, is definitely important and just makes your life way easier. But then it's, it's the more successful a company gets, the more data they get probably. So that's something mm -hmm. that just happens and we have to deal with this. Is there, so I, I mean, imagine obviously you got to be sensitive if you have user data or whatever, yeah. but like, is, is it possible like, is it often that you'll just be like, oh, I'll just get the first like hundred rows of this database and use that as my seed data or something like that? Is that something you do or do you just try to generally avoid using actual live data? Yeah, we don't. Is that kind of. We, we, we don't really do that at all because it's because we're very yeah. like security is a big issue with us because we have sure definitely. access to the source code or even like production um, systems. So that's a big no. Um, so we, we yeah. have, um, I mean, we can get access to the production database if necessary, but that's, we try to avoid that if necessary. And just far. Because, because it is like, we, we have to be a very secure system um, there specifically. And also from, from, from the data itself, it's just, we can recreate, it's the data itself that we store is not, not that complicated in itself that we can recreate it um, um, in a meaningful way locally with just some seed data that we, that we create. Like there's a lot of tools to just dump a, something that looks like production data um, into, into the database and, and work from that. Of course, there's, it's not real production data. And from time to time, we just find problems as soon as it's out there. Um, but I think the important part is then the feedback loop to be able to, to quickly like incorporate that, that, that new change into your seed incorporate that problem, write a test for it, push it out there. And half an hour later, or maybe 
probably hopefully earlier. Um, the fix is out there. Nobody's really seen it. Nobody really had a problem with it. And, um, and you just made your application that much harder to bring down or to bring a problem in. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I think we nailed it. Um, I was going to say one thing right before, um, specifically for WordPress here, which was like Dennis's original <laughs> comment was there's this thing called the like theme unit test, which is kind of like, uh, kind of what Flo was talking about is like this set of seed data, um, that WordPress uses to test their like official themes. So, uh, you might be able to, the, that might be useful for you because you're like, Oh, I'll just pull in this XML file. It'll populate my database with all these weird edge cases and stuff like that. And then your blog or theme or whatever has to be tolerant around all of those. So I've used that in the past. It's pretty cool. Um, anyway. Yeah. And they're uh, even like for, for testing, for testing websites, they're even now like there are great tools like, uh, Casper.js or, or other tools out there that let you write tests it just something that you uh, that let you write tests in in um either javascript or coffee script that basically in the test you say go to this site then click here and then click here and make sure this text is here and then then go further than that and we've written a blog post a couple of months ago about that but that's i think that's that's really helpful even for like having a script around having some simple tests around that just go through the main parts of the of the the website if it's a word, doesn't really matter if it's a WordPress site, if it's whatever site, um, if it's just an application, mm -hmm. just running that script. Um, that's very easy on, on any system to run and to set up and takes pretty much no effort. And you can be reasonably sure that you at least click through all of the important sites and make sure that they don't die on you. And that's mm -hmm. like having that quick feedback cycle and being able to just make coffee, wait a minute and the thing tests, the computer tests all of your stuff and all it takes mm -hmm. is maybe an afternoon to set it up and to get everything going. And from that moment on, like you can replicate that easily for every other um, client project. That's really helpful because it's just, That's... it's one more thing of like doing something automatically that when, when you could do it manually as well, but it's just not like you can make mistakes and you don't really want to do it. Cause I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't do this at the moment, but I really yeah. should look into it. I, I mean, I'm like confessing here, but, uh, Casper just looks really awesome. Cause you know how you like when you're making a website or whatever, especially from the front end, you're like, uh, well, I need to go refresh the page and check if I broke the down, the drop down menu this time because I yeah. was editing the footer and did I break the drop down menu? You know, like you have to kind of run through all these like dumb tests or, um, and, and then even at different viewports and stuff like that for responsive web design. And, uh, yep. anyway, it just seems like automating this stuff would be super radical. And then like integrating into a continuous integration system like CodeShip or whatever, it yep. like it'll run Some the tests for you. It won't even let you push a broken menu out into the internet. Kind of. Absolutely, that's exactly that's exactly the point. It's just, it, and I think that especially as front as a front end developer, like making all those like every time you test something manually that could be tested um, automatically, just make a little line in a note or something like that. Yeah, and you see quickly mm -hmm. like how much time you waste all day just clicking around the the website. Um, that that could be all, especially like clicking around in something that is currently not the feature you're working on. 
I think that we have, like, we see that a lot. I've seen it in a lot of projects that worked before is if you can automate it, it's probably even from a business perspective, it's a better approach to automate it. Spend that few hours that are necessary to get started with it. And I have personally, I've never met anyone that said after they started testing their stuff and at least on some level, <laughs> uh, they want to go back. I've, I've, I've yet to meet somebody who said like testing is a bad thing in general. Now you've got me wondering like situations where too much automation might be a bad thing. I don't know. Uh, there's like I an mean, automated, th there are cases an where, automated toilet comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> there's even easier cases where, where people test so much or write so many tests that whenever they change something, it takes a lot of time to like, you have to find the right balance there, but like at least having, yeah, yeah. like being able to like put the login, like make a test for the login. Can I log into that page? Can I click the buy button? Like having that the most important and and most the the valuable like workflows in a team like starting testing from like from the top like what's are, what are your most valuable workflows the stuff that you get paid for like if some feature on the side breaks that you might be able to survive that but if the login or the buy button mm -hmm. break then that's a pretty much game over so I think that's, that's is that yeah is that kind of your mo or your like is that how I guess you work. Yeah, I assume you guys are writing tests and stuff. Yeah. Is is it just you try to keep it mission critical, or or you you know because these tests have overhead. Yeah. It's not a whole lot. It's like milliseconds per test or whatever. But like, do you find that it's I don't know. Do you find that it's uh, kind of you have to pare down tests and decide what's most important? So we in general. So we we are really. I mean. If we aren't really hard on that, who should be? So we are really like, we, we do a lot of testing on that, but we try to, to do it from a very high level, at least in the beginning and only go deeper when it's necessary because of the same reasons. If, if we can test it on a very high level and make sure the workflow works, it, if, if it's, if it's correct or it seems, if it's correct for the user and the user gets the, the, the right data presented to them, then necessarily there have like something has to go right on all the, the, the levels beyond that. And so we try to start whenever we test something from a very high level perspective. And it even like before we implement something, we think about like, how do I want to test it? Like how, how should the user interact with it? And even, even that is, is really helpful um, because you really, as developers, I think we often like we, we jump into like, okay, uh, let me do this. How do I do this? And not necessarily how will this be used? And I think starting from that, that perspective, like I've write a test before, um, it forces you to think about exactly like, how is this going to be used? Because you write the complete test before, and that can be just a simple thing, like click that, that menu and click on that link and make sure that I'm then at the right page. And so, you, you know, it's, it's it, that way, it, it should work that way and it, it should be placed there and it should have these IDs and stuff like that. And it really forces yeah. you to think about this a little more and not just jump in directly. And so that's something that, that we found is, is very helpful for, for every level, for, for the biggest applications, for the biggest things, but even like for smaller websites, like having that simple thought process, but also then the tool chain that you can use. And like, if you are used to CoffeeScript or JavaScript, jumping in there is pretty easy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, then it's just, you're done with it. You, you can, you can, you can go on to the next task. And even like, as you said, like running the test before it, if, especially if you go like more front end, then it takes a longer time, but 
that's what computers and are there for. And just let it run in the background, let it run on our system or on any systems. But you have to, you can deal with developing the next feature while all the tests are running somewhere in the background, preferably on our system, mm -hmm. of course. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, so, cool. Uh, let's move on here to our next question. Our next question is, thank goodness it's an audio question. What are our favorite kinds of questions here at the Shop Talk Show? This one comes from Jason Hoffman. Here we go. Hey, guys. Love the show. I have a site to build with about 30 pages, all one template. Each page has a bit of written content and then a listing of assets associated with the page. Each asset listed has a title, thumbnail, some tags, a link to an external page, and maybe a caption. Simple. No comments or extended functionality, but the asset listing has to be separated from the content of individual pages. I can either use a CMS like Drupal or WordPress with custom post types and fields to achieve this, or I can store the assets and data in JSON files and combine them with markdown files for the written part using something like Grunt Assemble, and then deploy static files. I kind of like the second because those JSON files can be adapted, but I was just wondering what your thoughts were or how you would approach this. Maybe something different? Thanks. Cool. Awesome. So he's trying to, like, he's got a little bit of data that goes with the post, but um, he can't just stash the data or whatever yeah. in the post. So he wants to maybe look into like grunt assemble or some sort of static builder beforehand. Yeah. Um, do you think this is a good idea? Absolutely. How I would kind of go about So deploying? for example, what, what we do for the static assets on our uh, page on our application is we put that on, on Amazon. So the CloudFront, their CDN and um, S3. So their data store are, perfect candidates for that. So what I do in his case is um, build the assets. And then with Grunt, uh, as he's already using Grunt, there is a Grunt uh, S3 plugin um, that you can use together. And um, so basically allows you to build the assets, push it out onto S3 in some bucket. And then if that's fast enough, that's cool. Then he's already done. And that should probably take him like only a few minutes or maybe an hour to set up. And mm -hmm. if it's not fast enough, he can put the, the CDN of um, Amazon, so CloudFront, in front of the S3 bucket. And if his traffic comes from basically all around the world, the assets are stored on their CDN endpoints all over the world. So the assets will load incredibly fast. And I think that mm -hmm. separating the assets from the application or from the, the code base is very valuable. And because all the requests that go to your page just for loading an asset, uh, requests that the page has to handle. And for static content, that is always the same. And so farming that out to something like, like Amazon, where they can do it in a much bigger scale at very, very cheap prices, typically, um, is a good idea, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds... I mean, I, I didn't know about the Grunt S3 thing, yeah. but... It basically, it again, back to like, <laughs> I feel like you're like Steve Ballmer and you're like, automate, automate, automate. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm very biased in that direction, of course. But <laughs> but if you can automate your S3 uploads, then you're not dragging files into some S3 bucket. It's yeah. You're using Grunt to like say, oh, that's an asset I know, and I'm going to just shove it up there. I mean, exactly. that's not, and even... Even with the static files, he could automate that, huh? I mean, like the HTML that's built by Grunt Assemble could just shoot Absolutely. up with Grunt S3. 
Yeah, in, in general. So if you have oh my static goodness. sites, just <laughs> put them. If you have static sites, put them on Amazon. Or I mean, Amazon doesn't allow for um, SSL, or it's really expensive to do SSL on Amazon right now, or on S3 specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's not necessary, then it S3 and the CDN maybe in front of that. So Amazon is, even allows you, like if you only have static pages, Amazon allows you to point a URL or any domain to any S3 bucket and just use that as the basis for your site. So for really just static pages that don't need any encryption, um, Amazon is really the perfect solution. It's It'll cost you probably around nothing and it's super easy. <laughs> Deployment is... I mean, it, it can't, like, even doing it manually, the deployment on Amazon, it really can't be any easier than that. And and it, it works, like, it doesn't matter for static pages how many people view your, view your site. Your sub, it just can't go down. There's no way that it goes down at all. And mm-hmm. they care about the server at all. I think so. For example, the, um, the Obama campaign, they did a lot of um, static pages. Uh, with uh, Jackal, mm-hmm. I think, is their specific tool that they used mostly. So I've, I've seen one of the guys talk at a meetup uh, recently or at a conference recently and they just uploaded it oh. to, to S3 and put it out there in scale and it just it didn't matter at all um, from cost perspective as well as from uh, scaling because it's just static files and Amazon handled that uh, all for them and I think that's that's really interesting and a really yeah. cheap and, and really easy way um, to go around about that because you don't have to deal with servers, a VPN or anything like that anymore. That's wow. That's cool. I, I haven't used it for like deploying a static site, but um, I've, I think I know a friend who did, but um, that's pretty cool. I haven't ran into like mime type issues on Amazon, but maybe they're fixing that. I yeah. Know. I think there were some troubles before, but they have been so I, like people have been using it in production for a while. So yeah, they, they must okay. have somehow fixed it, I guess. Yeah, and I'm sure there's like workarounds or yeah, whatever. You definitely, use yeah. a second CDN or something. Yeah. So anyway, cool. All right. Well, there. I I think that totally answered your question there, Jason. Um. Oh, he sent in a little more uh uh info. He was just wondering what the line is for like static versus CMS. I guess. Um. I don't know. Do you have an opinion? Like, um. Yeah. Low, like. Like when should you just go static and when should you go like super database? I mean, or, if you, or like, and when should you wing it? If you can go static, it's static with something like Amazon or something like that. It's just, you don't have to deal with the CMS. You don't have to deal with the server. You don't have to deal with an instance or it just, it can't go down. There can't be any problems with it at all. And if you can go yeah. completely static and put it, Amazon or Rackspace has their file or there's like, there's a ton of others out there yeah, yeah. that deal with that, but they, I mean, they are built for serving static files. So why not use that? Of course, I mean, there may be a, a scale where that becomes a problem where managing those files is hard, but typically if you have a, a builder like there with Grunt, um, it shouldn't be a problem, I think for quite a while. And it, and it is a super easy and super cheap and it's it's really cheap i mean the traffic it's basically for free like the traffic on s3 you pay for even for smaller sites you pay nothing at all so it's totally free mm-hmm. hosting and and worry free you you just don't have to to think about it because amazon won't go down there is no way that they have yeah. they, that they're completely gone or it's very very unlikely that they're completely done and like your own cms 
updating a CMS, keeping it up, maintaining it, um, putting new plugins in, making sure the templates work and all that stuff is, it's just work. It's like, you could work mm -hmm. more hours for another project at the same time, or just if you have fixed prices, get paid the stuff, put it on, on somewhere online where it's static and then that's it. And it's probably done pretty yeah. quickly. Well, you know, I have another, I shouldn't talk about it on this show, but I have another podcast for, it's, it's called the ATX web show. It's about the awesome web design scene. Um, but it, we're actually in the process, like in the discussion of maybe pulling that from WordPress and going into like a static site sort of thing. Um, just because like, we're not using much of WordPress other than the posts, you know? Yeah. So, um, we could probably just build a bunch of JSON and boom, like, and maybe even use something like angular on the front end or whatever to just build a site really fast. And that way we're, we're doing less work. Obviously angular has like accessibility problems we're concerned about, but anyway, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I, I think I should preface. So we have, we, we had a static site for our blog in the past. So we hosted it on, on GitHub. So GitHub pages, for example, is great for that as well. Like for hosting st um, static pages, GitHub pages works really well uh, in connection with, uh, Jekyll, their, um, static site builder. Uh, it works really well. We had that for a while. We switched to, um, to WordPress now on, on WP mm -hmm. engine simply because we needed more. Like we, we, we use a lot, like the, the guy who, who does all the blog in our team, um, uses a lot of those features, like a lot of stuff that is in WordPress. But if you can reasonably say that like this page is going to be static for ever, and there's no way we need all of that, the, 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 the fanciness that, that WordPress provides, um, then going static is, is a good option, I think. Yeah, I, w I wanted to point out Awesome Fant in the chat room was saying you should probably consider who the client is as well. Like yeah. he, he appropriately says a dentist probably won't want to edit markdown files and run a grunt task to update his website, which, yeah, he's absolutely right. So absolutely. like whoever your client is, is a big thing too. Like WordPress is so damn easy that it makes yeah. sense to use that. So anyway, uh, yeah, cool. I think, um, I think we're in good shape. So, um, it's kind of, we, before we go, we should also mention, uh, another one of our wonderful sponsors. That's yes, we should for humans. And sorry, I just had a, we had some thunderstorm action here. kind of cut <laughs> me out of the loop for a minute, but I'm back. You should consider going to. The 2013 CSS DevConf. Just go to cssdevconf.com. We've been talking about it a little bit, but all the speakers are announced for it now, which is pretty cool. A couple of big, awesome keynotes uh, from Nicole Sullivan. Jonathan Snook is doing a workshop. Chris Epstein will be talking about the state of SaaS, which will be pretty interesting because they've been a little quiet, if I must say, recently. So I think uh, hopefully there's big stuff to come from them. Tab Atkins talking about the future of CSS and tons of names who I haven't uh, seen on here before, which makes me excited because you know that they, they went through this vetting process to even get to speak at this conference where there was like, you know, people voting and they weighed it with all this stuff. There's like an algorithm to even get to speak at this thing. So it's pretty exciting. It's uh, at the end of October in uh, uh, 
uh, out kind of near Denver, up in the at, at this cool hotel that what they call it the Stanley the Hotel. Stanley Hotel. Yeah, which is where they shot the inside of The Shining, which is an awesome movie. I, I recently watched this like documentary about like theories of The Shining. It was pretty cool. But just look at the pictures of it. It looks amazing. It's like at the base of these huge mountains and stuff. Uh, and otherwise, fairly affordable conference too, which I think. Makes it very look into a bowl. You fly into Denver to go there. Anyway, it's coming up at the end of October. Go to cssdevconf.com, uh, and you won't regret it. It's going to be amazing. And, and they didn't ask us to talk about this, but I just saw them tweet out about this thing called the Mobile UX Summit. That's Environments for Humans, or you go to Mobile oh, they're UX doing another Summit. summit? Yeah, it's cool. It's like all about mo- designing for mobile. So yep. Josh Clark. Brad Frost, uh, nice. you know, it, the usual suspects there, but it should be really good. So pretty cool. Awesome. Anyway, uh, let's uh, go. We, shoot, yeah, we have I time sc- for another one, right? Away. We got one more. Flo, you're, you're good on time there? Yep. Uh, all right. So next question. This one is pretty good. I think it touches on uh, kind of what you, you guys do at Code Ship here. Uh, it's from Al Nemec, Nemec, Nemec. Oh my gosh, he gave us pronunciation and I blew it. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Nemic. All right. Here. Doop, doop, doop. It's loading. One second. Here we go. Hey guys, I wanted to hear your thoughts on platform as a service options out there these days. Uh, you know, generally those are well marketed towards people writing web applications, mostly from their ability to scale by spinning up extra dynos and doing other advanced options and things that, of course, I'm not as well-versed in. But um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on how those might be used, if at all, for websites other than maybe specific web applications. Do they make sense to be used on things like blogs or um, any other types of websites? Uh, and if so, which ones you might recommend? Uh, I know there's a couple that um, I tend to come across, ones like Heroku, AppFog, Pagoda Box, and Fort Rabbit. Uh, I know there's probably more out there than that. But I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, how those are best used and maybe if everyone should be using those. I'm not sure. Uh, And anyway, keep up the good work. Love the show. Thanks again. All right. So platform as a service, like Heroku, Yeah. Who are their ideal customers, I think, is the question, right? Or what are they perfect for? And at the same time, what are they not perfect for? And honestly, I don't even know the answer to this all that well. I mean, I could like spout off about it for a while, but I probably should (laughs) let somebody smart answer. I think well, I I don't think you meant me there. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> we we gotta defer to our guest. I think that so in general, so I'm on the subject of running your own servers. I'm pretty much against, so I'm totally against running your own servers for pretty much anything. So I'm pretty tough on that point because, like for for the most part, other people's will be better at running specific servers for a very specific service. Then um, what counts I, as running your own server, though? Let's say you use Amazon AWS. Is that running your own server, um, or is that Amazon depends, running your? Depends. Running your own. I mean, managing your own. It doesn't matter where it's run. Managing the the whole system and not just having. So, for example, we're we're using Heroku for our, our applications, uh, and mm-hmm. so the nice thing there is that I don't have to deal with database uh, database updates. I don't have to deal with system updates. I have to deal. Don't have to deal with like. Maintaining it in a way that that it works, the 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 scalability, keeping it up, and and all this, I don't have to deal with that. Like they deal with it, and I pay them to deal with it, and they do a good job on that. So we're pretty happy with that. And I think in general, I mean, of course, man, 
the whole business we're in is built on top of that people shouldn't use their own servers, but run their tests on our system. So, of course, we're totally biased on that, obviously. A little opinionated. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So that's, I mean, it, it is kind of the basis of our business. Um, but still, I think, I've, and I've seen it from so many teams, and I've seen it from ourselves and, and how we work with that. It, it just works. It just letting other people do, because I think developers, it's, it's the not invented here syndrome and I can do it better and I can manage it much better than, than somebody who does that full time with a team of very well trained people is to, most people just won't be able to do it as well as they, because that's, that's their job. That's their, they, they wake up in the morning thinking about that sure. and they go to bed with thinking about the best infrastructure to run a node, a, PHP, Python, or Ruby application. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's well worth the money. Um, and I think that a lot of people, like there are, there is a, a steeper price point involved with platform as a service than with having your own VPS, but that's only if you don't really count in the hours you have to spend to maintain it. And mm -hmm. it's just, so for example, like with WordPress, we, we discussed it internally. If you want to use um, WP engine or our own VPS that we host somewhere and then have it run. But for, for, especially for me, so I was a strong part on, on using some service like them, or at least trying them. Um, because it's, we don't want to, I don't want to be in the business of managing the server infrastructure that I, I don't want to manage. There is specific server infrastructure that I want to manage because that's the core of my business, but I only want to manage this because that's where I'm good at. And I'm, I'm really, I'm not good at managing a WordPress instance. That's other people's job and they do a very a good job with it and I'm happy to pay them for it. And it just like the, the stuff that you probably have to pay for that is paid down easily, like with a couple of hours of work, even for expensive services, like it's going to cost you at least a couple of hours to get it to the point what they can do. And oftentimes like you can do a lot more stuff with that. So be it on Heroku or platform as a service in general, like to scale it up to any size that you need, scale it up or down, depending on, or even automatically scaling it up or down, depending on the, on the request you get currently. So that's, that's some of the stuff that you just, you, you, it's really hard to do it on your own. And there's only like, there often, like there is a point when a business becomes so big that it's easier to hire more people to take care of that. And, but that point is probably not for smaller to medium sized businesses. I personally don't really see the point of, of running your own service there um, if there is a sufficient and system out there. Mm. Yep, yep. I don't even but, make my own cheeseburgers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, why would you leave it to the service? pros? Yeah, but I, I think that's like <laughs> that for developers, nice. like we're, we're, it's easy for us to think that we're pros in everything that has something to do with the computer or at least with software. And we're really not. And I think to, to have that um, view is, is important and, and helpful because then you, you just do the stuff you like and you don't do the stuff that you don't like and let somebody else do that who really loves doing that. Against that point, I read an article by somebody on the Mule design blog. Mike that was Montero. like, well, well, Yeah, but his wife. 
She, it, it's not, I'm sure that she would largely agree, but it was, it was interesting about founding a business. And then if you're the founder of some business that maybe you shouldn't make all your business decisions based on just what you're comfortable at or what you happen to be good at. Cause that's just, it may not like jive with what makes for a good business necessarily always. So you should kind of focus on, you know, what the business is. And if you, if you have to do make some decision or work on something that isn't as comfortable for you for the sake of the business, that sometimes that's smart. That's just the, the kind of devil's advocate opinion here. I'm anyway, and then and then I like don't really said, think I, I disagree yeah. with that. I think it's just like doing something that is hard just to teach or something for the business is 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 great. Doing something that is repetitive, boring, and potentially like not the strong suit and like really isn't the focus of the business. That's just something that is better done like paying. That that's just done with money. Like that's it's better to pay somebody for something that. If you're not really interested in and not really like doing that, but definitely like jumping into the hard stuff in a business that is really like the core that represents the core of the business is, is really, and I've seen too many like tech teams, like build the biggest technology and totally losing track of like where, where it's actually important and where they actually should go. And so I'm seeing too much stuff there to Sure, to, especially because we're at Techstars, right? So you could watch all kinds of mistakes happen in real time. Um, of course, all of the Techstars teams, like they were the best and the best products and, and everything went fine. There is no... Except for them. They it's, made it's no except, except for them. Everywhere else, it's hard, but they were like the shining light uh, when it comes to technology. Of course. Uh, I, would, I would just personal experience, like we've... You know, in the past, we were like, hey, we're going to host client websites and we're going to make millions of dollars, you know, and you make like a hundred, you know, it's just doesn't end up being worth it. So like, and even like just managing a WordPress server, we have a WordPress server at Paravel, but just with some of the traffic we get, like a hot post or something like that, you know, if you end up on Hacker News, even like on page nine of the Hacker News, you'll like, your server just will fall over and it's just like, ah, this sucks, you know? So even for WordPress, like you mentioned, uh, WP engine flow and they're, they're an Austin company. I'd like to point out, but they, they like, even just like something like that, you know, just having, having some infrastructure that you don't have to worry about your, your blog going down is super helpful. Um, but it's changed my whole level of thinking. It's just like the second I like my sniffer goes off and says like, I think more than, you know, 10 people would use this at the same time. My, I'm like looking at scalable solutions and, you know, I like things like Heroku. I have friends who work there, disclaimer, but like, I like things like Heroku because man, if you get a surge or you're popular, all of a sudden you can just be like, boop, dino town and like, yep. go up to a hundred dinos or whatever. And then like, you're paying you're paying a premium for that, but man, you didn't have to like sit around and you know in a room full of servers or anything like that. So yeah, and, I think it's, and it's even like it's those spikes that are really important there, and like all of that technology. But it also like they make it so easy to just push out new stuff, do on new stuff. Just it's it you don't waste your time caring about like doing a package update on your server infrastructure because there's some security bug out there. They take care of that and. Like that's where the premium goes, and I think it's well worth the premium. Or even if you want to add Redis, yeah. you know, you don't have to like, like whatever, grok that from your SSH command. You yeah. know, like it's pretty. Slick. It's just there for you, and I think that's 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 
it, it's worth the money in, in my opinion, but of course, take it with a grain of salt. That's a very biased opinion on that. Of course. Oh, where's my kachini? <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, cool. Speaking of that, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, Flo, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. Cool. Thanks for having me. This here. Ooh, that-, that was not a, I wanted the deep dive sound effect. <laughs> now all the sound effects come out. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to like swipe my finger across now. <laughs> um, but, we were uh, called thanks- out for having too few sound effects on the second half of the show. I know it's so I'm trying to Sing the I'm day. trying to bring it up here. Um, anyway, uh, Flo, how can people uh, follow you, get in touch with you, give you money? How does that work? Um, yeah, so from of course going to Coach Bio, um, signing up, giving it a try, uh, sending us a lot of feedback. Um, we're always really, really happy about that. Then of course there's our blog at blog.coachip.io that where we have a blog about Casper.js. We talk about testing, but also specifically like how to get started with it. Um, there's been a couple of nice blog posts about that and really valuable, I think, for, for everyone. And then there's like our company Twitter account, CodeShip, where we post a lot of stuff and like engage with a lot of people all the time and in talks about that. And my personal Twitter account at, uh, at FlowMotlick. I think you guys probably put that in the show notes somewhere. Yeah, Absolutely. we'll put, we'll link it up. So. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. And uh, thanks everyone for listening and uh, tuning in, subscribing and coming out live in the chat room. You guys really helped out today and uh, be sure to follow us at shop talk show on Twitter, uh, buy things from the store, do all that. And Chris, you got anything else? No, oh, but uh, shop talk show.com. <laughs>